Hi, my name is Tracy G and I'm an inner work coach, NLP trainer and podcaster extraordinaire. Passionate about equality and a world that is more diverse and inclusive, giving each and every one of us the opportunity to be the best version of ourselves. As a biracial woman, I've experienced my fair share of discrimination in the past and come out on top. We all know that discrimination and bias still exists in the world today, and it's not always easy to know what to do about it. This podcast, All One Inclusive, is about celebrating all diversity and being proud of all that you are. I chat with inspiring guests and my friends as we share stories from news sources and listeners from all over the world who have experienced some form of discrimination firsthand. The aim is for us to be able to discuss this issue more openly so it becomes better understood by all and provide tips about what you can do to make a difference. The world may have a lot of catching up to do, but if we can imagine a more equal world, we can create change step by step, ripple by ripple. Happy hump day. Happy New Year. Hi. Yes. Happy New Year again. Again. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so this is the the second one of the year yes but the first one of the actual year new year for us really yes and 2024 already I know I know I know ah I want Actually, this to be a really good year Tracy <laughs> me too me too better than this last year yeah and yeah. what's it like in Italy for New Year? Were you there last time? No, last time we were here, living here, but mm. went to the UK for New Year's. It's kind of similar. Mm. It seems like Christmas is more family stuff. And that's what people tend to do is have their family meals and they spend a lot of time with family and close friends. Mm-hmm. And then New Year's is more going out, partying, drinking, eating, celebrating, more with your friends as opposed to yeah your family or extended family so yeah we went to a nice party which Mm. was good met some new people italians and other internationals yeah it's good sounds awesome (laughs) yeah there was quite a lot of food because we all brought food so there's a lot of eating yeah and then yeah drinking I wasn't drinking I was driving <laughs> yeah so, so good yeah but I don't know because then it's it's nice to wake up feeling good yeah it's nice yeah because now now when I've had a drink I just as you know can't handle it <laughs> <laughs> so I was feeling quite good about myself on New Year's Day I guess <laughs> yeah and how about you? Yeah. I, we have to the viewing party. So here we can see Sydney fireworks over the harbour. Yeah. Awesome. The harbor bridge. This is amazing. And I yeah. love the fact that I don't have to go anywhere. And I can yep. just stay at home and enjoy Roll the into show. bed. Yeah, and roll into bed. Literally, literally, that's what I do. So, yeah, I had a few people around. Again, too much food. <laughs> too much food. Mm. Uh, everybody brought food. I was like, oh, I've got so much food here. Delicious. What's the first one? Right. So I have one here. This is a sporting one and the source is um, Reuters. And it starts off um, talking about a New Zealand weightlifter, Laurel Hubbard, 
who at the 2020 Olympic Games was the first openly transgender woman to compete in the weightlifting sport. And I guess that caused a lot of news at the time. Hubbard actually didn't you know, perform very well during the 2020 Tokyo Olympics, but I guess that's, you know, the start of the story. And it's talking about how now, three years later, there are several different sporting, global sporting organizations that have started to introduce eligibility rules regarding transgender women. In particular, we've got the International Weightlifting Federation and also the World Athletic and World Aquatics, International Cycling Union. And the International Cycling Union banned trans women who had gone through male puberty from competing in female category of competitive events. And athletes who do not qualify can enter the newly named men open category. Um, so that's the International Cycling Union. So there's a French sprinter called Halba Dioff and a Welsh cyclist called Emily Bridges who'd previously were able to compete in the women's category because they met testosterone levels. Mm. So that seemed to be like the previous requirement to do a mm. testosterone test. But now the requirement is that the anyone going through from you know doing a female transgender change mustn't have gone through male puberty. Mm. So the World Athletics have tightened their rules. They're saying the only safeguard tra- transgender women have is their right to live as they wish, and we are being refused that, and we are being hounded. Yeah, it's interesting because I don't understand why the rules changed. Like, if there was new evidence or, I don't know, if loads of transgender were competing athletes were competing and they were winning everything yeah. something I don't know like what's the what's changed that this is no longer maybe, seen to be fair maybe the change is that there's more there are more transgender women competing competing in sports now as opposed to just participating for fun or you know, community-based sports, the fact that it's now reaching more of an international level. Yeah, like the numbers are more. Yeah, mm. yeah. There's more more events of it happening. So yeah. these international bodies are deciding that they need to set up some kind of rules or parameters I mean the the reading the article the overriding kind of reason being given is that they um, are wanting to protect the female category of sport which, it's a bit ironic isn't I mean it? they don't support women's sport generally but normally yes normally. normally it's like takes a back seat and doesn't get much you know as much attention as male sport yes yeah, or payment <laughs> or any of those things yeah all of the rest of it yes but now they want to protect it, whoever. But they now, are. yeah, mm. yeah, they are. Yeah, <laughs> interesting. Yeah, I mean, I mean, it's a difficult. Uh, like from a personal perspective, I was thinking, well, if I was a female competitor, then I would want to have a voice in this. It's fine for these international bodies to kind of make these rulings, but mm. surely it should be up to the actual sports women that this is affecting. Mm. 
Yeah. Yeah. I would think that they should have a, a bigger, I guess, a bigger voice in it. Mm. I did see somewhere here, okay, it says a, a lady called Rapino, and she's kind of been vocal about this issue. She retired from WNBA mm-hmm. uh, and they were among 40 professional athletes who signed a letter to the US lawmakers in April opposing a federal bill that stipulates, well, compliance requiring banning transgender athletes from playing women's and girls' sport. So that's 40 professional athletes. I don't know if they're all like WNBA athletes or not. I'm not sure. Mm. It doesn't quite say in the article, but, you know, they're standing up against it and saying that they don't believe this is the right right way to address this particular topic. Those are my thoughts. It should be like the actual athletes that are participating and competing who should have a, a voice in this. Yeah, I guess I bet there's bound to be some for some against for sure Mm. but also I'm thinking that bill in particular was against any sport not just professional so what's the implications because I'm making an assumption here it's not talked about here but transgender women aren't allowed to participate in the men's category anyway if they identify as a woman so yes where do they compete exactly so then you completely are discriminating against them. Mm, yeah. Um, I suppose, though, looking at it, playing devil's advocate, I, I guess the reason that they're saying they wanted to protect the female um, category of sport is because there is a f- physical difference between men and women. Right? That's mm-hmm. why we have these separations of men and w- women categories in sport and competitive sport in particular there is a physical difference between men and women so yeah so to allow a fair competition well I don't know if that's the original idea but Mm. it certainly allows women to be able to compete fairly and not be physically dominated in those sports that where you know physicality is the main differentiator so that allows women to compete and be able to to compete fairly with other... Yeah. yeah. I don't know, because yeah. I just don't know enough about the science of it, but hasn't there been enough changes? I'm making lots of assumptions that they're taking the hormones. Although they've gone through puberty, depending on when mm. they started their transformation, hasn't their body gone through enough change for them not to have the same kind of advantage as they would if they hadn't? Than that, does mm. the same make sense? I don't know, but I just say I don't know. Yeah, and maybe that's what's needed, isn't it? Is more science to back up. There is still a fairness there that, like you say, enough physical changes and biological chemical changes have occurred for mm. there not to be any advantage. Yeah, yeah. I guess that's what's needed. Isn't there one of the sporting agencies that have created another? Category. Category. Yeah, that's right. I think that was the cycling. Right. Yes. Athletes who do not qualify under the new rules can enter the men open category. Men Men open. Yeah, men slash open category. But why is it men? men I don't know. Why didn't they just call it the open open category? category. (laughs) Anyway. Yeah. yeah, I, I think you're absolutely right, Tracy, that 
there just needs to be more science involved in those decisions yeah rather than and it must be heartbreaking you know it's got to be heartbreaking for transgender you know sports people we know take professional sports people take you know this is a serious thing for them they dedicate their lives to it so it must be heartbreaking for these athletes who have really worked towards a goal and now they're finding out that they're not going to be eligible for the next Olympic Games. Mm. And it seems to me like these international organisations are all, like it's a bit of a domino effect now. Yeah. yeah we've talked but about yeah. in previous episodes, we talked about, which one was it? Well, the one that I remember because it's weird is chess, women's chess. Mm. So they banned, <laughs> they banned women, transgender women from playing the women's chess. And and this and this is part of the problem. They were they were allowed before, and now they're changing the rules. So I think it's different. It's different, just as frustrating, but different. If you were never allowed, and you're fighting for the yeah. rights to do it, <clears throat> but having been allowed, having been participating, having trained and dedicated right, yeah. your life, dedicated your life, yeah, and then to be told, oh no, we're changing the rules, yeah without any good reason and I know the reason is fairness and the difference in bodies I don't know how it's different for chess there's got to be some sports we don't need that male female differentiation chess got to be no one, surely well you'd think so I didn't even realize it was a sport but anyway <laughs> I think I watched the Queen's Gambit I have but anyway so you've talked about this before in one of your other episodes yeah so that was say. like season two episode 26 I might go back and listen to that one because it kind of interests me as to why that would have happened and season two episode 10 we talked about transgender athletes again Mm. but then you know Bavna you know similar to you she was like well I'll try and think of it from this perspective it was a good think exercise so you know we've got Caitlin Jenner Mm. who was an Olympic athlete were they like a triathlon or decathlon athlete or something like that mm-hmm. who's changed is transgender now yeah and saying I'm a you know I'm an athlete and training all my life and then I, I find out that Caitlyn Jenner is going to be joining the female sports category mm. so that yeah. was their their thing or Bavna's thought experiment and I totally get that that would feel unfair but it would feel unfair because Caitlyn Jenner, before she was Caitlyn Jenner, had mm. had had participated as a man at high level competitive high level, sport. Yeah. Mm. Whereas I imagine, and I could be completely wrong, that was that these are people that have transformed at a younger age. I don't know though, and maybe that needs to be the rule. I don't know. Time, yeah. It must be really difficult, but it, it is a shame that they haven't kind of uh, given more notice. Like you said, you know, maybe it could be this rule is going to be introduced, you know, a bit of a, a time period so that at least, yeah, at least there's a, a bit of a chance for people to prepare for that, you know, yeah. and whether that be prepare in terms of, okay, well, this is not going to be the sport for me or prepare in terms of, you know, stand, standing up for their rights against it. Mm. Yeah. Okay. Okay, well, another story 
because you know I'm all about yeah. diversity and inclusion. Yes, um, it's your thing. It's my thing. I guess it hasn't been a thing my whole working life. It hasn't, as in it wasn't a term. Hmm. And I don't even remember when the first time I heard that expression was. It was definitely a HR topic that really maybe became a popular idea in in the workforce after the you know Black Lives Matter movement. Mm. But I've, what I've seen as well in the last few years, maybe coming out of COVID or during that time, is a big pushback against it. And what I'm hearing, and I could, my perspective is that people saying that DEI policies are discriminatory against the majority or non-minority, sorry. Mm-hmm. And that's, and their opinion is that you're replacing one discriminatory system with another. That's their argument. But this story is based around America, the US. It's in the business section of The Guardian. And the title of the article is Diversity Policies Face Full-Out Attack in 2024. A leading HR boss warns. So it's a president of one of the largest HR organizations in the country says there's a national shift following George Floyd's 2020 murder is fading. And actually, mm. I didn't even realize that, you know, the DEI stuff was way before then. And that murder happened in 2020 when COVID happened. And now mm. there's a shift, at least in the US. I don't think it's just in the US, but at least in the US where it's becoming really hot topic where people are going against it, going away from it. But even though COVID was one of the biggest magnifiers of the discrimination that existed. Hmm. And this guy, his name, give him, I don't know if it gives his name. Oh no, it's Johnny C. Taylor Jr. He's a president and chief executive of the Society of Human Resource Management. The national shift to be more inclusive that followed the murder of George Floyd in 2020 and the Black Lives mm-hmm. Matter protests that followed is already fading, he says. We're already seeing companies go away from it. Following Floyd's murder and figures that showed how high communities of colour have been hit by the COVID pandemic, companies across the US pledged to make their workforces more diverse and tackle racism. COVID and the murder of George Floyd kind of shone the spotlight on something that we already knew. And this is what J.P. Morgan boss Jamie Dimon said during the interview in 2020. He said, we've had racial inequality in this country since way before the Civil War, and we haven't done a particularly good job fixing it. And I guess in the U.S. it's a bit more, I don't know if it's more prevalent in the U.S., but just more talked about in the U.S. as one of the developed English-speaking countries. Race is just a really divisive topic isn't it in the US because of the history there so true maybe that's why yeah Mm. true absolutely true so this Johnny Taylor says that the reset could be as strong as the backlash against the environmental social governance movement which was critical Mm. of the fossil fuel industry where apparently countries banned big businesses for investing in certain companies. We're seeing this backlash on diversity, equality and inclusion policies is when you hear big, big, big like entrepreneurs like Elon Musk. He's posted on his social media platform, X, formerly Twitter, 
that DEI must die. DEI must die. DEI must die. <laughs> he tweeted. Yeah. <laughs> he X'd. He X'd. Yeah. Um, and it must, this is what Elon must say, says and what I'm, how I summarised what the mood is. That it's pointless to end discrimination, not replace it with a different discrimination. And then you also have the US Supreme Court striking down affirmative action in higher education. So these have affirmative action education programs in mm. schools. Yeah, that's kind of being struck down. And that's what I guess you call that conservative movement. And then the American Alliance for Equal Rights, run by the conservative legal activist Edward Bloom, filed a lawsuit over the summer against a venture capitalist firm which focuses on funding companies run by women of colour. So, yeah, they were going to try and stop them. Interesting. Yeah. And I get, and I get, and I, um, and I can see how they're saying, well, if this venture capitalist only funded white men, of white people, that would be, would be an uproar. I'm like, yeah, we would. <laughs> I don't know how it's the same mm. though. It's the same in the behaviour, but it isn't the same in the intention and the long term. Intention, yeah. And the you know the long term vision of what the bigger picture. And I just think, I think people are really short sighted. I think that is spot on exactly what the intention is. Right, I totally get when people like. Elon Musk saying that we can't end discrimination by introducing a new form of in- discrimination. I and you would actually, that. South Africa, come from South Africa. Exactly. He is South African. So, you know, they had their similar type of affirmative action, positive discrimination, whatever you want to call it, following the apartheid there. So he's definitely coming, I would think he's coming from that perspective, right, where there were specific rules introduced in South Africa to try and rectify some of the damage that had been caused during the apartheid era. So Mm. I would say that he has that perspective and lean on it, but certainly the types of affirmative action type policies that were introduced in South Africa are very different to what we're kind of seeing now, where Mm. we're talking about equity and giving people better and better access to, you know, what money or power or being white or male might otherwise afford you Mm. I understand that perspective but I also feel that as a society there are sometimes things that we need to do in order to make that society better and more equal and fair I, I don't think that being white and male means that you should then automatically have access to more I don't, you know, and yet that is the society that we predominantly live in. I'm not saying that all white males have, you know, have everything laid out on a plate to them. But historically, that's kind of the society that we've been living in. And it would be nice. Yeah, as a collective, it would be nice as a collective if we pulled together and said, well, that's not quite right. Maybe we need to kind of level out the playing field and therefore... In the end, like you say, long-term vision, in the end, aren't we going to then have a better overall society instead of having parts of our society that are excluded because of how our society has been constructed so far? Yeah. And the Supreme Court, so this is America again, they're making decisions that make these diversity, DEI as they call it in the US, making Mm -hmm. these types of policies become almost like 
not illegal, but challenged. So having quotas mm. and things like that would be, become, yeah, illegal if the Supreme Court continue as they are. I mean, I mean, I can I can see why the quotas can be kind of used against these policies. Like the the intention is good, mm. um, but it, it's how it's implemented, isn't it? You know how people in management or positions of decision making, how they then implement that. And qu- quotas can be weaponized, can't it? You know, just saying. <laughs> if somebody is going to get a job ahead of you because of a you know positive discrimination then that probably is going to be frustrating mm. but if it's because they're just better yeah i know <laughs> you know this is the thing i think there's been a lot of mistakes which fuels mm. that fuels the idea that it's unfair yeah and like you said i know that some of the policies in south africa were more extreme yeah, they were unfair. Mm. Yeah. Unfair. I feel like, you know, a pendulum, not a pendulum, mm. like if you imagine the scales, we're so far mm. this way. Yes. There has to be more done to get it. To, and it might even swing too far the other way until it becomes kind of even. And I don't know if anybody's found another way to do it, but that's kind of how things work. And that's the only way you get some sort of equilibrium. Mm. Yeah. I agree with you. There needs to be kind of a, a writing of the wrong and then, like you say, an, an equilibrium. Mm. But I, I do think that the DEI policies that companies are introducing, I, I, I don't know that they're particularly discriminatory. For instance, my niece is in the UK and she's going to go to university well, this year. So she's been making applications. And I, I had not realized this, but there are certain universities in the UK that I guess they have DEI type policies. And one of them is that if you're from certain areas or let's say a postcode in the UK, mm. which is classed as lower socioeconomic, and you're coming from a background that is lower socioeconomic background, then you have the opportunity to get into that university on that course with slightly, not very much lower, but slightly lower grades. Mm. The idea is that if you, from that postcode, having gone to a very poorly performing school, Mm. if you're able to achieve those grades, what would you have done if you'd have gone to a much better school or had private tuition or had all the privileges that somebody a few kilometers down the road would have had Mm. so they're leveling the playing field in that way yeah and I I actually think it's a real I think it's a positive move because Mm. it is saying that if you can achieve that under those circumstances what could you achieve under much better circumstances yeah and I think that's what equity is about and you can see how yeah. that could seem unfair <clears throat> as well. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, absolutely. But if you really like put your level head on, surely you'd be thinking, yeah, that kid does deserve the opportunity to go to that university mm. because they've proven themselves in what is actually a difficult circumstances. And yeah, 
But yeah, I mean, those types of policies might seem unfair to some people, but my personal perspective is that, like I said before, we're living in a society where there are some things as a society you need to do to kind of elevate everybody, not just mm. a few, not just a I'm, few of the privileged. I'm going on a, on a tandem here. I'm trying to get in the mind of people that do oppose this kind of initiative. Is it that they don't believe there is such a thing as privilege? Or is it that they believe that's the way the world works? Some people are privileged, some people don't, and that's just tough shit. Yeah, yeah, probably a little bit of both. I think mm. that there are definitely people who are in a privileged position that won't acknowledge that they are. Mm. And like you said, there's people that are just like, it's a hard knock life, Tracy. <laughs> just deal with it. You just know, deal, deal with, with the your car- own deal shit. Deal with the cards you dealt. And- Get on with it. Yeah, deal with the cards you dealt. I've been dealt very nice cards. Thank you very much. Yeah. (laughs) But actually, one of the things that most frustrates me about this, I mean, it makes me annoyed anyway, because I, I, like I said, I do really think that if you're living as part of community, part of society, you're able to support and help people that are less disadvantaged or that have been deliberately disadvantaged, actually, Mm. Mm. then, you know, the table should be turned. The thing that most aggravates me about this is that there have been so many laws historically that have been deliberately, not surreptitiously, absolutely 100% deliberately put in place to disadvantage minorities. And yet those laws have stayed in place and they've been laws. It hasn't just been movements like the DEI thing, you know, it. Mm. These have been laws that have been put in place, like the the Jim Crow laws or the namely Jim Crow laws back in the US that came into place after slavery was abolished. Mm. And then to manage that threat of slavery being abolished, a lot of the southern states created the Jim Crow laws to deliberately discriminate again against mm. black Americans. Mm. And yet those laws were in place for decades and nothing nothing much seemed to happen about them for a very long time mm. and yet these these DEI policies which have got positive intent there's like this hammering down on them immediately mm. from i guess yeah these conservative groups that have power mm. so that really actually frustrates me a lot that it seems like when there's these positive movements, they seem to get ripped away a lot mm. quicker than these very negative discriminatory laws that get put in place in countries yeah. like South Africa, like in the US, mm. that nothing seems to happen about them. No. Yeah, gosh. This is, this is why we do this. Yeah, this one really frustrates me because I I just, like you said before, it's really short-sightedness. There's obviously somebody's feeling a threat here and they need to to oppose it. But what what is really the threat that they're feeling? Exactly. Yeah. And I remember talking to somebody else about this and they were telling me, because, you know, in Australia you have the similar thing with the Indigenous population that have been discriminated Mm. against for so long that now... They're not thriving in society, not everyone, mm. generally, mm. 4% of the population. And somebody said to me that they were marking students and for Indigenous people, they were supposed to, the 
the bar was different and they didn't agree with that. But you just made me think what you just said, their circumstances to get even that far, mm. massively different. Mm. So, yeah, I don't think, I don't, at first I agreed with them, I was like, oh no, you should be, you should be on the same, you know, after the same entry or the same pass or the same whatever. But I just think about, what, you know, your parenting, where you've had to live, mm. um, your opportunities to study, your opportunities, yeah. access to resources, mm. access to support, and not have any of those things. Yeah, the, the challenges that you have to overcome versus somebody that doesn't have those challenges. Yeah. 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 Not um, to say that people that aren't minorities don't have challenges. I just mm. don't have the same ones and as many mm. often that are a systemic in society. It's not just at a particular school or mm. it's a bit bigger. Yeah. Mm. I um, met a really interesting guy on a plane, I don't know, a couple of years ago now probably, and he was at university and he was blind and he had this awesome device and I started chatting to him and basically the device automatically, he could like, I had like a download of a book or a text or whatever it was and the device would convert it into Braille instantaneously because wow. he was actually reading a book, a fiction, a fictional book and I was like, oh, what, what, what is that thing? And I started chatting to him. And he explained what it was. And I was like, wow, that's amazing. And he's like, then I, I realized he was at university and he's studying at university. And he's like, without this, he said it just wouldn't be possible for him to go to any normal university. <clears throat> He'd have to have much greater support in order to make it happen. Mm. And then this device, it cost a lot of money and blah, blah, blah. But he was like, oh, no, my family didn't have to pay for it. It was paid for by one of the, the societies that supports blind people. And I just think, well, that in itself there is a DEI type. And, you know, without that, his life would be so completely limited. Mm. And yet he's more than capable. He's on a plane by himself. He was living his life. He was going off to meet friends for the weekend. Yeah, and creating a life for himself because of this machine, this mm. device that his family weren't able to afford to buy it, mm. but they received support in order to do that. <clears throat> so mm. for me, it's like these people that are opposing DEI policies in the workplace or wherever, would they oppose that? Would mm. that be seen as, oh, you're helping somebody, you're giving somebody extra support in order to get them into university? Mm. I don't know. I think some people would still, honestly. But, yeah. They'd rather you know have him sat is? at home doing nothing. It's a support that they that would benefit them as well. Whereas, yeah. like, but if you're not blind, that doesn't mean anything to you to benefit you anyway. But say the example of the grades thing. If you're not mm. working hard enough, that, that would piss you off. If you weren't mm. thinking about, if you didn't think about the bigger picture, I just think people are yeah. very narrow-minded Yeah, some of these things. But anyway. It is. Move on. Mm. Okay. So I have um, a story, obviously, living in Italy now. I'm getting exposed to other news stories. One of the things that has been quite obvious to me 
since living here is there's quite a lot of awareness that is being promoted about domestic violence and yeah. intimate partner violence. In Italy, it's particularly violence against women in the home. I mean, there's often, I guess, posters around the place and uh, different kind of events that discuss this topic. But recently, over the course of the last year or so, I'm really pleased to say that Italy have been, and other European countries, it's not just Italy, but there's more of a movement to introduce laws or better laws to help protect women and also to enforce stronger judicial punishments against um, perpetrators of domestic violence. So this is actually, it's not a, a news article as such, but it's just a report on a website of one of the law firms that are based out of Milan. And it's talking about the new laws. It's saying women in Italy are tolerating an unacceptable level of domestic violence, which can often lead to tragedy of femicide. Women are nearly always murdered by their partners or former partners. And in an attempt to halt the rising instance of assaults against women by their partners, there's now the drafting of what's called the Codici Rosso or Code Red Law in the hope of stemming the tide of domestic violence. So as I understand it, the Senate in Italy have voted to pass this bill into law. And I guess it's just going through the process of you know, making that happen. The new law provides for a significant uplift of sentences that perpetrators of domestic violence against women can now expect to receive. So there's stronger prison sentences and greater provisions for police to act um, earlier and with more force, I guess, against um, perpetrators. I also was having a look to see at the types of figures. Shockingly, it was saying that 31% of women aged between 16 to 70 have reported to have faced physical or sexual violence. It's not saying specifically domestic there. I think that's just saying generally, but that's figures from Italy. And I had a look to see what that was in comparison to kind of Europe as a whole. And it's kind of about average, but 31%. That's a crazy amount. Yeah, it is. It is. It just is like mind-blowing. Like if somebody had asked me the figures before I had looked at them, I would have gone, oh, 10, 20% maybe. 31% is, is really shocking. And on top of that, the number of attacks that end in a death is on average about two per week in Italy, which is really... Mm really high and obviously hence why this topic has become a lot more urgent to put in place something that's actually going to happen yeah the other nice thing I mean it's not particularly nice topic as a whole anyway but the other nice thing that I saw was since you know this whole bill was passed there's been an increase in the number of attacks that are actually being reported so yeah they're saying that the spike that they're seeing isn't that they believe there's an increase in attacks. They believe there's an increase in confidence mm. amongst the victims to actually report these crimes. So that's a really positive thing. I think even if that alone 
if, if the the bill has caused that alone, then that's a really positive mm. outcome. I'm kind um, of cynical about that. I'd, I'd be more interested in knowing the amount of convictions, if that's yes. going, because it's like <laughs> the, cult, the, the culture in the mm. justice system, that's not going to mm. change like that no. overnight. So, yep. yeah, that'd be interesting. Yeah, they were kind of saying that some of the 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 reporting process and you know in terms of the judicial process to get somebody convicted of this type of crime there still needs to be a lot of improvement in that mm. because it's still exposing victims of these crimes to some you know a necessary part of the process really yeah you know? but you yeah. are right it's like how many convictions are actually going to go forward and living in Italy now you know there's still a long way for the, the police to go in terms of general crime anyway there's a lot of like Meh, kind of attitude unless it's something quite serious and what I'm hearing as well from Italians here and, and I don't know whether it's a misconception that they're conveying but a lot of Italians are saying there is general corruption you know it's a corrupt country mm. and that includes the police force. So mm. there are big crimes that people can get away just because they're powerful mm. or because they've got money. Mm. Yeah. But anyway, I think it's an interesting move. I think it's a good move. And like I said, it's not just Italy, it's other European countries as well that are putting in place new laws. I remember you telling me about this. I don't know if you've said it mm. and I just missed it. But the thing that really struck me was that the idea that easy to kill your wife and divorce her in Italy. <laughs> yeah, so we've met a, well, he's a friend of ours now. And when we came across one of these, Kudichi Rosso, it was like a, a shrine, really, kind of thing. There were all these ribbons tied around this bridge. And we said, oh, what, what's this? And he explained, oh, you know, about the domestic violence in Italy and the amount of women that are it's particularly women that we're talking about here obviously but that are killed due to domestic violence and he said yeah in some respects the law in Italy protects when you when you're talking about divorce people Mm -hmm. separating and divorce and particularly if there are children involved the law here protects women Mm -hmm. so that during a divorce or a separation women with children get the right to the home and lie and and men can often be kind of left in terms financially not right yeah financially yeah worse off mm. so he'd explained that many men think it's an easier way out to kill the wife go to prison for 10 years and when they get out they still have everything that they had before i mean i don't know whether he was he's obviously relaying a bit of a story I guess but Mm. he was painting the picture that perhaps this is why the situation in Italy two women per week are being killed because of domestic violence alone perhaps this is the explanation that he was offering yeah yeah but I mean that really that's great I'm not dissing this this move in the right direction this step Mm. forward Mm. longer prison sentences harsher punishments mm. Mm. but it's treating the symptoms not the cause yeah. like you know she's using a stick and not a carrot like mm. what's the idea that that's okay 
like this a kind of acceptable. And I was reading this something here. This is an uh, Australian government website that talks about the reasons why people don't necessarily get out of those situations or why you wouldn't, people might not want to get involved. Was there anything else you want to talk about before moving to the what would you do? No, yeah, no, not at all. I just thought that was a kind of a good topic for us just to touch on. It was like, it's always depressing, but always good to know that Mm. change is coming, and especially in some of those countries. I think it's it's definitely something that impacts all countries. I don't know about you, but I have grown up with that in my wider family. I've Mm. grown up with that and friendships, not in me personally, in my friendship, but my friend's parents and things like that I've seen it lived with it but I'm older it's like and you would think this as well you know why don't they leave or sometimes people think the problem will work itself out Mm. or it's not easy to know what to do and people will be reluctant to get involved even talk Um, yeah because it's still a bit of a taboo topic isn't it Mm. And this yeah. idea that you shouldn't get involved in it's a private family matter. Yeah. And the government website, it emphasises how domestic violence is not just a family problem, it's a crime mm. with serious consequences for your friend. But before I go into all of that, yeah, what would you do now? Who you are now, how old you mm. are now, if you knew someone, say you just met a new friend because you're meeting new friends, you're like, you're at that stage, you're in until you're making new friends, building a life. You've met a new friend, you're becoming really good friends, and you start to suspect that she is a victim of domestic violence. Yeah, <laughs> it's a really hard one. I mean, <clears throat> because I, like, like you said before, I believe it's a crime. It's not a private matter. It's not something that should be kind of fixed behind closed doors. There's absolutely mm-hmm. no reason why somebody that you're in an intimate relationship with should have the right to consider that a private matter it's a crime Mm. what well if it's somebody that you've just met that actually makes it quite hard because if it's if it's a long-term friend then you understand what the dynamic is of the relationship a lot better Mm. yeah either way if it's obvious that that is what is happening I would want to have a conversation, not to hear the gruesome details, but to offer justice what I'm seeing. And I would like you to know that I'm here to help and to offer support. And I believe it is wrong what is happening. And there are ways to change your life and stop this from happening to you again. I personally wouldn't want to interfere in any more than that I don't think unless I thought it was a very serious situation Mm. you know depending on the severity life and death death, well even yeah before life and you know if it was depending on what type of abuse it was Mm. I wouldn't want to interfere any more than that because uh, yeah it would depend on the other person's particular you know where they're at if I felt that they were at a place that they still had it in them to make, you know, decisions about their life, mm. then I would 
empower them to make those decisions. But if I felt mm-hmm. that they'd gone past that point and the mental or physical abuse had taken them to a point where they weren't able to make any proper decisions for themselves, then maybe that's when I would have to step in. Mm. But yeah, offering support is probably the best I'd be able to do. Yeah. And if yeah. I wasn't confident yeah. it was happening, I, I don't know what I would do, actually. This is the thing, especially if they deny it or justify. Usually justification is more likely than outright denial. But, yeah, like, I do. And I think about the scenarios I've been, I've been kind of experienced, but as a child, I was, like, growing, you know, teenager and seeing these yeah. things happening to me. I think about none of the people I know that experience that. I'm not aware of any intervention by the justice system at all in any of those situations. Mm. Just people suffering for a very long time and eventually getting themselves out of that situation. But to me, though, the lucky ones can heal and move forward. But just because you're no longer in that situation doesn't mean to say you're no longer abused in mm, mind mm, if that makes sense yeah, the long-term effects yeah the long-term effects of that it says that some women take seven or eight attempts to leave an abusive partner mm. which I didn't even know I thought wow that's really interesting but what I really did want to share because like we're struggling to know what we would do and it's only theoretical mm. but yes it'd be useful yep. to know what professionals say and I'm just going off the New South Wales government website. It was really interesting. You know what I typed in? I typed in, how do I help a friend who's being abused? And it took me to Australian government website that literally took me straight to a survey that was asking me questions about whether these things were happening to me or somebody I knew. Oh, okay. It took me. Yeah. I also thought it was quite interesting. Hmm. Um, but I wanted to read out the reason why people don't just leave obviously it's not that simple at all no yeah Uh, and there's so many reasons like their emotional ties to their partner make give them hope that that things will change that it will end and that's got to be there because you love this person you wouldn't have got with them if you didn't yeah right and that the or the abuse is your fault and that if you change, then the violence will stop. Or, and this is a lot of women, financial dependence on this partner who controls the money in the family. Mm. And you may not be allowed to work. You may be a full-time mother or worried about where you're going to live, where your children are going to live, how you're going to manage financially. The beliefs that you have committed to the relationship, the belief that marriage mm. is forever. Mm. That's definitely not a belief I have. Some people very strongly hold on to that belief. They really believe in sickness and in health and domestic right. violence. Mm. <laughs> I kind of added that there myself. <laughs> sickness, health, and domestic violence. That's yes. actually not funny. It's not funny. No, it's not funny, but it's not funny. It's, yeah, I understand. The other thing I realize, you know, we've been talking a lot about domestic violence, but obviously abuse comes in lots of different formats, yeah, doesn't it? It does. And it can be it physical does. and mental, it could be exactly. financial, like you said as well. That yeah. Um, is an important distinctions as well yeah and that whole making you believe less about yourself really not mm. confident I Diminishing. I'm very wary I'm almost like very sensitive and I hear things 
like well anybody doing it is it's wrong women doing it to other people but men doing it mm. to their partners I'm it's a big big red flag for me when they joke about your attributes like you know how smart you are not Mm -hmm. or the things that you do and they make it like a jokey thing Mm -hmm. where it's really an insult dressed up as a joke insults dressed up as jokes yeah they're they're always really funny aren't they (laughs) yeah Yeah. it is though I think that's one of the things that kind of flags aren't they to if, if you are kind of becoming aware that a friend or family member or whoever might be experiencing some kind of domestic Mm. violence or abuse that is one of the flags isn't it Mm. the insult dressed up as a joke kind of thing in front Um, of other people putting something down down all the time yeah and like it's funny that's how you joke that's your relationship Mm. so chips away at people's self-esteem yeah I mean I've seen women do it to friends and things oh, as well. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. That yeah, I w- probably the whole kind of mental abuse is could more than be fair either way. Yeah. It's just that domestic violence is predominantly against women, but See it all the time. other types of abuse are probably either way. And you made me think of this friend that I met, a new friend I met that had experiences, wasn't currently experiences. Tell me her stories was charming and lovely Mm. nobody Mm. knew the years of domestic violence that she'd been Mm. suffering and when she finally reported it and finally started to tell her friends some of her friends were going over to the partner going oh are you okay they didn't believe Mm. her because this partner was so charming I guess I don't know how you couldn't believe someone Mm. I just I just but anyway yeah because if somebody is coming across as being so charming and wonderful then it would be really hard for somebody to instantly change their perception or idea about that person yeah Mm. and yeah ultimately even somebody that is a perpetrator of domestic violence they're probably you know good and bad like you you said Mm. before you've fallen in love with them for a reason there'll be parts of that person's character that are endearing and lovable and kind and all the rest of it and that's probably one of the reasons you might be battling as well if you are in that situation because you might be naturally trying to think about the positives Mm. reframing everything Mm. or justifying with all the good things I can totally understand that it's more complex and not as simple as why don't they just leave them absolutely And that is why we're in the situation that we're in. There's Mm. so much domestic violence and femicide. Because if everybody just left the first time it happened, it wouldn't be a thing, really. It wouldn't be a thing. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. But yeah, I just thought it was really interesting. And then in Australia, the number is 1 800 respect if you are wanting support. I know if you ring that number, you'll get the national service that will put you in touch with a local shelter which I think is excellent that we have those kind of services and to keep in mind some of the things that one in three women experience physical or sexual abuse or both perpetrated by someone they know the abuse is the one responsible for the abuse and violence the victim is not to blame all women and children and men 
have the right mm. to live life free from violence and abuse. It doesn't say men, but I put that bit in there. Mm. Violence is never acceptable and is never considered a part of anyone's culture. Many women live with mm. violence and abuse for years before telling someone or getting help because domestic violence follows a cycle. And the risk, and this is where I could come in with my response to that question and what would you do? The risk of death or injury to a victim is greatest when they're leaving or an abusive relationship or shortly thereafter which I didn't mm. know, but makes sense. Mm. Does make sense, yeah. That I guess I would be like you. I'd want to empower them. I want to let them know I'd be there for them, support them and not judge them. Yes. For their decision yeah. to stay. I'd like to be, to think I'd be that person. But when does it get to, you know, the risk of death and injury or even the risk to yourself, which is possible in that kind of scenario? Yeah, a lot, a lot. Actually, Tracy, the more that we've been talking about this topic, the more like crazy flashbacks I'm getting. I hadn't realized how many instances of situations I am actually aware of with friends and family. Like even one time I was sharing a house when I was in my early 20s and one of the girls, her best (laughs) friend was being stalked. And one night, the guy actually, because she was at our house, smashed our front door, the glass of the front door. But it's only when we're talking that I'm like, actually, there was other memories as well, you know, that are coming up. And Mm. yeah, we are kind of probably surrounded by it. (laughs) And these are the things that I know of that have happened to friends and family, let alone things that I'm not even aware of that are going on behind closed doors. Yeah. 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 Big issue. Big issue. And like when you talk about now and you do reflect, surrounded by it my whole life. Mm. And Mm. it's crazy when you think about it. It was kind of, it wasn't norm, but it was acceptable not to take it seriously enough to report to the police or whatever, to get the police involved. But hopefully that idea, you know, that mindset's changed now, that attitude's changed. But yeah, key things to help, approach them respectfully, listen without judging and support them, allow her to make her own decisions, help her find support services, help her stay safe, make a safety plan. That's the thing. And there's all these resources on this particular website. I hope in other countries they have similar resources available. Yeah, professionals that can help. Yeah, exactly. with the situation. Yeah. yeah, professionals that can help. Oh, okay. Thank well, you. Great. I've learned great. a lot there actually because, yeah, knowing what to do in that situation is probably a really important thing. Yeah. Mm. Okay. All right. So for that downer of what would you do, but I think it's a really important topic. It's good to talk about. Yeah, it really is. Uh, yeah, and it, like we said, we're surrounded by it. Yeah. It, It needs to be spoken about more. Yeah, just because the more we all talk about these types of difficult topics, it will mean that victims um, feel that they have a a place for their voice to be heard. Actually, just made me think somebody I was working with who was Indigenous, their first romantic relationship was violent. And this Mm. person had grown up with it in her family and believed that that was just how relationships were. It had been such the norm in her circumstances 
that she thought that was normal. And thankfully she got out of that and into a much more loving relationship. But to think that's normal, that to be your norm. Yeah. Well, that's what, you know, you, these impressions are made at a young age, aren't they? Mm. Which I just had a thought. I watched a really awesome TV series recently. This was one of the topics that it, it covered. And it was based in Australia. It's called The Lost Flowers of Alice Hart. Oh, I see the advertising. It's really, really good. And it addresses this cycle of domestic violence that can just perpetuate. But yeah, definitely would recommend that as something to watch to uh, get a better understanding and idea of yeah how victims uh, well and perpetrators what's happening Mm. in that dynamic Mm. Mm. oh that's interesting so what's it called again the lost flowers of alice hart and i think that was on amazon prime i think i'll go and watch that that it's really good really really good oh thank you for this week mm-hmm. my new co-host thank you for joining me thank you i love these talks they're so good i'm missing out on this living overseas and i'm missing out on this really juicy conversations well there you go you've got the outlet now yeah i have <laughs> so um... i'll speak to you again very soon yeah thanks yeah. tracy You're welcome. bye 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 thank you so much for tuning in We hope you have as much fun with us today as we did. If what you heard resonated with you, don't forget to show the love and like our YouTube channel, All One with Tracy G. Give us a five-star rating on whichever podcast platform is lucky enough to have this episode because they rock too. Feel free to email us stories or questions at alloneinclusive at gmail.com and sign up for my newsletter if updating yourself about everything which goes down sounds like something right up your alley at tracygandu.com. Until the next time, see ya!